if nothing else, just think it through. Spend some real time on, on what you want out of the niche and, and make sure you can investigate it. Like it doesn't hurt to bounce around a little. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 329 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Pitch your niche. If this was easy, we all would have a narrowly defined niche and be killing it in that niche, but it isn't easy. So let's talk with Andrew Hansiker, the dope CFO, about his views on niching. I started by asking Andrew whether he agrees that there isn't really a bad niche as such. There are no good or bad niches as such. It just depends on what you make out of them and how suited you are to that niche. That was my starting comment. And here is what Andrew had to say about that. Well, not real. Not in my opinion. <laughs> it depends where I am in my life cycle so if I'm just launching a firm for bookkeeping or accounting, I want to pick the easiest niche that's going to be really good and easy to get into. So say I'm a brand new accountant. Yeah, you could theoretically say what you said. Every niche, whether you're a bookkeeper, CPA, accountant, whatever you are, needs high quality. So whether you serve the oil and gas industry or dentist or cannabis like I teach, there's going to be A plus players. If you can do a great job, you can do good. But that's actually not really super true. So dentist is a great example. If you said, oh, I'm just going to jump into the dental niche because, oh, that sounds good. They, dentists are rich and they're everywhere in big towns, little towns. Just got to go get some clients and learn out their pain points. Well, the problem is dentists, they were a great niche, but they were targeted by accountants long ago. So if you try to get in at this point, dentists are very hard to reach by their nature. And secondly, they will push you away anyway because they've already got experts in their niche. So there are niches that might seem to be good on the outside, but then I'll talk to someone on the phone who will be calling me for the very reason they are quitting that niche. They're calling me, Andrew, I got tricked into doing dentists or doctors. I realized that was a total waste of time. I wasted seven months and now I'm calling you because I went into a better niche. So, so yeah, I've got the opinion that, that actually all niches are not created equal <laughs> and i'm not even sure if i got into the and we can follow up as we discuss on the actual factors i have actual factors that i think make great a great niche yeah tell me please so and the, and the more of these the better so a couple of them and i can go back to my dentist example would have i want the business owners to be everywhere big cities small cities all over the place. I want the owners to make, generally speaking, seven figures, so millions of dollars, because the clients that make mil millions of dollars of revenues, they can pay me more fees. I don't want a coffee shop that pays, that makes a hundred grand a year. They're not going to be able to pay me anything for accounting, so they wouldn't be a good client. Um, so, so those two factors, the businesses are everywhere like coffee shops and they make a ton of money like dentists. Third factor is these are where it gets a little harder. If possible, is the niche underserved? Are you early in a niche? So every once in a while, a new niche is born. So you could say oil and gas became huge in the 70s. The year at the turn of the century around 2000, we had a boom in high tech, software, um, internet, um, hardware, 
anything related to the high-tech industry was a birth of a niche. You could have gotten in early then. Another one now is cannabis CBD, humongous global niche. Every country is, is hitting it right now. And it's one of those rare times. So the companies are everywhere and they're growing and they're multi-million. But then the final factor is, are the business owners easy to reach? And the answer in this industry happens to be extremely easy to reach because we have events literally in every city in the country, digital live events. They're just everywhere. So it's very, very easy to meet them. So those are the main four, but, and again, I find you can just blow it on one factor and have trouble. So for example, another, I'll hear people say, oh, I picked hair salons or I pick CrossFit gyms or yoga studios. And you can, you can do that, but it's a little, you're going to have a lot more clients because they're not going to be able to afford as high of a fee. And generally speaking, in my mind, the more clients you have to have to, to have a really nice six figure business where you're making four or 500 grand a year. Yeah. You can make five, 500 grand a year off a hundred clients. That's going to be miserable. But if you can make three, 400 grand a year off two or three clients, your life's a lot easier. So, um, you can make factors work, even like a yoga studios that are everywhere, but they just can't pay you very much. So you have to be, have a system for accumulating a ton of them. The industry, operators in the industry need to be widespread and everywhere. And I think with that, you mean the area where the accountant is operating. So for example, if you're based in Tasmania, then make it based on what is widespread in Tasmania. Don't worry about what is widespread in the Northern Territory. It just needs to be where you are. I like to yeah, see where the, where they're pretty much everywhere, like coffee shops or dentists or some industries aren't everywhere. They're just in certain nooks or like the entertainment industry, maybe in just one sector. So some industries are everywhere. So that generally speaking, everything I'm looking for makes me, it easier for me to quickly get a high paying client. I don't want to wait six years to get my first, you know, eight grand a month client. I want to find one in a month or two. The second one is a high turnover. Of course, a client who makes over a million dollars of turnover a year can pay very different to a client who makes 50,000 a year. Then the next one is service levels, whether it's a young industry that is not highly serviced yet by accountants or whether it's already a very established industry that has very high service levels. Of course, the higher the service level, the more difficult it is to find new clients. And then you said they were forced. What was the fourth one? Was the fourth one growth, whether the industry grows or what? Being able to actually find the owners easily. A common complaint, a perfect example is doctors. People target doctors, but guess what? Doctors are extremely hard to reach. They hide their emails and their phones and they have secretaries and good luck getting a hold of a doctor. Whereas, uh, say, a cannabis business owner, you can find them within five minutes. You can find one, get their email and send it off to them. So, so very, very easy to get in. So the fourth factor is accessibility. How, yeah. how easy it is to find the uh, business owners. These are all very good factors, but if it was easy to find neat niches like that, we would all have one. Of course, they're very difficult to find. I guess yes and no, but it, it actually shocks me. I've been doing this for 30 years. And if I was young, I would be, I talked to people and I was like, how can you, 
we just got we are right in the middle of this once in a lifetime opportunity it is underserved massively right now by qualified accountants but even if i wasn't picking cannabis just make sure i'm getting into a new rapidly growing niche for example high-tech startups would still even 20 years later is still a pretty good niche you can still find those companies and there's new companies and you can find owners so even 20 years in it's in compare it to an industry like like in america oil and gas i was in that for a little bit it's in like year 50 it is so so saturated with all levels of accountants that um yeah you can't you have to work your way up from the bottom in that industry so that leads to my next question and that is there are basically two approaches to finding a niche you can look at it from the outside and look at factors like the four we, we looked at, or you can just basically organically find your niche by just working everywhere and then slowly finding your people and slowly finding the industry you want to focus on. What you described before, of course, is kind of an outside approach, meaning you you look at all the industries and then you pick your industry, or you can just choose it from the inside, meaning you work everywhere, you deal with all your clients, and then you slowly find your people. Kind of what happens to a lot of us. And I got pinballed around into the oil and gas industry and then another industry. And so to me, if I was just starting out, if I could do it over again, I would spend a lot of time. It's almost like investigating a career. Like it's like you might spend time before you go to college to think, do I want to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or a, a fireman? What do I want to be? And I'm going to spend a lot of time as opposed to you could do what you said. You could just bounce in and out of jobs. I'm going to try waiting tables and then I'm going to try that. You can do that strategy, too, but I don't think it's the best. I would suggest investigating the niches, spending some time reading about them, finding out what they're like. Do you believe in the niche or not or whatever is going on? And then you and making sure thinking it through like you may love yoga studios and you love to do yoga. Is it a great niche? Probably not. It's going to not be <laughs> there. Yeah, they're everywhere, but they're, they don't make much money. So I would think through it carefully if I was choosing a niche. But of course, you can do it any way you want. And some people do. They just, you know, maybe you live in California. And so you work on a lot of farms, berry farms, and, and you learn farming and then you become a farming accountant. But you may hate farming. So I would, yeah, investigate it before I picked one. When you found your niche, was it a slow process or was it a light bulb moment you just suddenly realized? I think from memory, when we spoke once before, I think you went to a conference and I, I have a memory that you said that you can't remember anything of the two or three day conference apart from the one strong message and that was find your niche. Yeah, that, actually, it wasn't a conference. I paid $7,000 for a program, like many of, of these programs out there. And so, and that was the message back in 2013, pick a niche and become an expert. And really, for many decades, whether you were a one-person CPA firm or you were, worked for the big four or you were a huge global firm, it didn't matter. We served everybody. There wasn't even this idea that we're talking about at all, niche. You just served everybody. And that's the way I did it for my career. And, and when I moved to Oregon, I had all kinds of clients. And it's 
It's harder to serve everybody. You're not an expert in any one thing. So you don't really add that much value to your clients. They can't pay you as well. It's harder to meet clients. I don't know who had that idea first about picking a single niche and just serving that niche, but it's a great idea. And I just don't think it was that common of knowledge until the last few years because most CPA firms served everybody. Then I spent some time to look around and I actually tried to chase Dennis for like three months and realized, oh, this is a nightmare. Even And I knew, I know personally dentists. And so I thought this is going to be super easy, but it wasn't. And so then I switched into cannabis, which is becoming big in my state. I didn't plot it all out at that point. I just kind of luckily found cannabis. Now, after talking to literally thousands of accountants about this niche idea and make, and many of them don't get this idea that you can pick the wrong niche. That's probably the number one point of this call, because that's the thing I hear over and over and over on the phone. And I talk to probably about 30 accountants a week. And I do that for the last five years. I just hear it over and over. I picked this niche. I wasted my time and now I'm done. I picked nonprofits. Wasn't good. I picked salons. I picked what all these different niches, construction, whatever it is. And so don't be that person that call, calls me a year later and says, oh, I'm starting over because it, because it truly is like starting over. It's like throwing a year of your life away. So that means picking a niche is not like picking a vaccination. The, uh, the slogan is the best vaccination is the one that you can get right now. That doesn't apply to niches. So with niches, it is more choose carefully and choose a good niche that meets the four factors we went through. Yeah, and I would just be careful to, to, again, put the thought, we gave you some factors, think it all through, because I've also, I see in Facebook groups on Facebook or Instagram, and I love this, or I love that. I love gardening, so I'm going to do the gardening niche or whatever. What you love in your hobby may or may not be the best a good niche for you. So have that be kind of a side factor. Yeah, if you like the niche, that's good, but um, don't have that be the main criteria. Can I venture another thought forward? And that is, I think there is some merit in bouncing around and organically finding your niche because then you actually see how easy it is to get into it. So for example, let's say you start having three dentist and you really enjoy it and you start understanding the industry more you have more understanding and then slowly widening the net of dentists I think is a lot easier than just picking dentists and going into it cold and the same I think applies to any niche I think if you start working in it and then you slowly acquire specialist knowledge then it's a lot easier to add another one and add another one you then slowly glide into it rather than jumping into the cold water. Yeah, so that's a good point. And I think I would much rather have people bounce around like that and just get clients all over the place and then find, oh, th these clients are easier and these are worse. That's definitely better than just jumping in and thinking you have to pick a niche and picking one and then realizing a year later that was a bad idea. So that's definitely, I would put that as if there were three, three methods, I'd put that in the second one. Yeah, it is tricky because that is the other question actually. So this program I took, years ago, thousands of other accountants took it. And this was the question I got all and was in the group. Okay, I picked whatever I picked this niche construction, but I don't know anything about construction. How do I become an expert quickly and learn all those things you need to learn? So that's the next problem. And so that's why if you're going to pick a niche, yeah, you're going to have to figure out a way where you're going to get the education and tools to serve that niche. And so 
maybe that is just bouncing around and and trying a couple of niches first you could um, give that a shot unless you and or the same time be really investigating and studying these niches and you might find you really like one next question when you picked cannabis did you fire all your non-cannabis clients straight away and went all in? Well, usually, since we have people coming at all levels, some people have a full practice. I've had people literally sell a huge practice, you know, whatever, a million-dollar practice, and then start over in cannabis. And then other people are, like, slowly transitioning. Maybe someone has four clients, and they, they just patiently look for a really good cannabis client, then they'll start letting go and kind of rotate into it. And then we've had people do both and keep both going at the same time. And then there's other people that are just young or been fired from a job and don't have any clients and they're just going straight in. So I think it really depends on the, the person and where you are. Having any in, income at all gives you a huge advantage, whether you have a niche or not. If you're like stable or, or maybe your spouse has income, that gives you a lot more time to be picky about your clients. When you move into the niche, how do you establish yourself in that niche? So most niches have industries and local groups, national groups, associations, events, and some, some things have more events than the other, like Again, cannabis right now has events just everywhere <laughs> in the U.S. anyway. So, And those events need people to instruct, and there's business owners there. So it's very easy to meet people there. Yeah, we want people to have a, a website, but it can be super simple, a one-pager and or use LinkedIn, which people do as well. And then you can... I think it's good to put out content like blog posts, but you don't have to kill yourself. Some people just spend so much time on doing social media and like someone else may not even have a website and, and simply call a business owner and land a client. <laughs> so you've got to be careful not to just only waste your time on digital. I'm connected with tons of bookkeepers and accountants on Facebook and Instagram. And you see uh, everyone's posting the same things, recycled um, and it just, yeah, I wonder what business owners think out there. And at the end of the day, in my book, finding clients a niche or not is I've got to find an owner and somehow talk to them via email, get them on the phone and send them an offer letter and get an engagement or not. It's pretty simple. And a lot of methods are old school, still work networking or, you know, you can read a, a newspaper article about a business owner and send them an email. I just read the article. Sounds like you got a great business. Have you thought of this and this? Sometimes, yeah, you don't need to do all this social media stuff to overkill. How did your income change before and after niching? Because I can imagine niching can be two different things. It can be a lifestyle choice that, you know, I'm winding down and I now just do what I enjoy and I just work with the industries I enjoy. Or it can be a hardcore commercial decision where I go for a niche that will make me a lot more money. How was it for you? How did your income change once you had picked cannabis as a niche? Well, once I, I picked, I mean, I had goals for myself. So, and that, that has to do with the niche too. That's why I want, I want a niche to be a high revenue niche. So I wanted to have very few clients, one or two at any good time, or maybe three. And I wanted them to be six figure clients. I don't want clients paying me five grand a month. I want 10 grand a month or more out of a client. And so you've got to have those criteria because I want to make good money, 
few clients mean, what does that mean? Basically lower stress and, and not so many headaches to put out. I want a lot of free time at this stage in my life. So you start thinking about what do you want personally and how do you get that generally fewer clients is going to be less stress and more time even in your life. And so that's, that's one key idea. And so generally your income should improve after you niche, if you do it right. And not only that, another issue I hear from accountants all the time, I'm so, I lack confidence. I feel so timid around the owner and they know more than I do. Well, when you niche and become an expert and you learn accounting and tax and operations and products and software, you, your confidence goes through the roof. You, you like, wow, I really get this industry. I know everything about it. And the owners get it and they treat you like that. And so that, that benefits as well. I guess my next question comes back to good niche and bad niche. I have heard from a number of accountants who picked a niche and would like to just focus on that niche, but it just doesn't give them enough work. And hence, they still offer full service to everybody else. I can imagine your answer is then just, yeah, they didn't pick the right niche. That niche is clearly too small. Yeah, they might have picked one that's too small or, I mean, something like nonprofits that has just been around forever and they're pretty entrenched and they, they don't want to pay accountants much. And um, and by the way, it's contracting as people are giving to charities less. So yeah, maybe the wrong niche. The true niche idea is your pond got way bigger because like when I was a generalist and I moved to my tiny little town of 80,000 people, That was my where I could search for clients. But once I became an expert in cannabis, all of a sudden I was I was getting clients all over the US, Hawaii, Texas, Oregon. I had them all over the place. And it was like, oh, this is easy. I got way bigger pool to fish in as long as it's a big niche, because someone in, in Hawaii would rather have me an expert in their niche than someone that lives down the street from them in Hawaii that just is a generalist. And so theoretically, it should actually be easier to find more clients and high paying clients if you do the niching right. But again, it's very easy to do it wrong. How do you manage the risk that comes with niching? Because of course, when you niche just into a certain industry, of course, you're very tied to the ups and downs of that industry. Yeah. And so that would be my factor five that we didn't discuss yet of what makes a great niche. <laughs> That's a great point. I'm going to have to add this one in. Because I talk about it a lot. Yeah, you want one that's recession proof and COVID proof would be even better. And cannabis CBD definitely fits that space. But the opposite would be restaurants just got absolutely killed during COVID. And I knew a lot of people that were in that niche had been in for a long time and like, oh, my gosh, they never it was impossible to predict. The very first niche I had back in 2000 was oil and gas. You could say that niche was kind of in the heyday back then. Now it is potentially on a big, big decline with electric cars and all that. There are just tens of thousands of accountants in Oklahoma and Texas. All they've ever done is oil and gas. But I mean, any if oil and gas does slow down, people have multiple years to see it coming. It's not like the restaurant industry got just slammed last year. But that would have been, nobody could have predicted COVID. If nothing else, just think it through. Spend some real time on what you want out of the niche and, and make sure you can investigate it. And like, like you said, even it doesn't hurt to bounce around a little. Welcome back. 
Niching is an interesting topic. There are accounting practices out there that have specialized in a specific profession or a specific industry and are hardcore about just that one niche. And we should drill deeper into that next year and look at how they serve that particular narrowly defined niche. But when you look around, you also often find websites from accountants that are just about one niche very narrowly defined, very focused. But when you drill down, you find a full service accounting practice behind that website. So they have separate business names and websites for specific niches. But the actual practice behind these websites is still full service. And so maybe this makes it easier for us to think about a niche. If you find it too hard to go hardcore into just one, then maybe you focus on two or three client persona and create content and websites and business names for those three different groups. And yes, you stretch yourself more thinly with three instead of just one, but it also removes the pressure of having to pick and choose and it allows you to trial and error. And three client persona is probably still a lot less than what many of us have at the moment. So it still narrows it down in a significant way. So this is our last episode for this year, and it is a quiet exit, not the usual fanfare with the top 10 podcasts, just some food for thoughts. Because thinking things through is exactly what I have to do. And I tell you this not because I'm of any relevance, but maybe because you might be in the same boat as me. And so maybe we can share and learn from each other. I need to seriously change the way I do things. And the reason for that is that I am utterly exhausted, not from text talks, that's fine, but from my accounting practice. And there are five reasons why I am so utterly exhausted. And I tell you these because maybe you can relate to some. The first problem is that I don't have an ideal client persona. The only limit I have is that you need to be on zero or willing to change to zero. But apart from that... I'm like the Messiah, welcome everybody into my open arms, offering redemption and salvation to anybody who asks for it. My second problem is that I don't have fine-tuned processes. There is a little bit of structure, but in the scheme of things, it is very little. Every client is basically a different process, a different issue, a different kettle of fish. My third problem is that I use very little technology. If you are on practice ignition and FYI docs or sweet files and or carbon or my prosperity or go proposal, you are miles ahead of me. Until two weeks ago, I was just on zero, zero text, Google Drive, Skype, Zoom, email, <laughs> email and hubdoc. That is all. I mean, and email and mobile phone, if you count those as well. Nothing else. So most of the heavy lifting has been done manually until now. My fourth problem is that I compete on price. And that is a very dangerous way to compete if that is not your specified niche. So in the first episode next month, for example, we talk with Lucy Cohen, who currently has 3,000 clients and her plan is to reach 10,000 clients by the end of 2023. So her processes are fine-tuned to the millisecond. She even built her own accounting and receipt management software and she's very clear on who her client is. And she doesn't shy away from sending you packing if you don't meet those criteria. And so she can compete on price. 
But if you don't do any of that, like in my case, when you compete on price without the processes, without the technology, without a clear client persona, you run yourself into the ground. At least I do. I'm basically running barefoot in a car race. Doesn't work long term. And then my fifth problem, my final problem, is a result of everything I just said, but it is such a big problem that it really needs to be listed separately. And that is that I am constantly the bottleneck. I work with a wonderful team and they are good and motivated and yet a lot flips back to me. And so I'm constantly holding things up because there's just too much depending on me. And the reason for that, of course, is everything else I just said. So I need to completely revamp and start from scratch. I need to have a clear idea of who my client groups are and what I offer. I need to automate processes with PI and maybe XPM, but possibly carbon. And then I need to stop competing on prices and stick to the fees I set. And if I miss out on a proposal because of price, then that is okay. So that is my plan for 2022. And I will tell you how I go so that you don't have to make the same mistakes I will make. Because I think the problems I'm experiencing are nothing new, very common. I think most of us have encountered at least one or two or three or maybe all five of these problems. Although you probably already sorted this all out ages ago and you're miles ahead. But of course, our processes are also never set in stone, but a constantly evolving matter. What is a great process today might no longer work tomorrow. So it is for all of us to keep looking at how to do this better. It is like a bus and we all get on it eventually. Please allow me to say a big thank you to Class for going into the fourth year of sponsoring text talks and supporting us all. Thank you to all the speakers who shared their expertise this year and allowed us to learn. And a big thank you to Borna Miolovic and Gesper Avid for the great editing and Jen Solomon and Julie Solomon for running this show. And of course, the biggest thank you to you for tuning in, sending in your questions and comments and setting me right when I'm wrong. I really appreciate it. Podcasting can be very lonely at times, so it is always really nice to hear from you and I really appreciate it. So please keep writing. Have a great break, relax, recharge and have a wonderful start to the new year. Thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you on Monday, the 7th of February, 2022.